Good morning. Good morning. So good to see you today. Welcome. My name is Adrian, and I'm about done with the white stuff out there. How about you? My goodness. I was not expecting that when I looked at the weather forecast yesterday. But it's good to be here with you. Thank you for coming today. Welcome to everyone watching online at carneyfree.com. I imagine we have a much larger online crowd today as well. And uh, glad we have that option on days like this or any other day that you need to be away from your church family on a Sunday morning. Uh, It's been a really, really good weekend of ministry here, and I want to just share a couple highlights. One, so appreciate what Justine just noted about our storehouse ministry and the work that's happening through community engagement. And if you happen to be here and you haven't yet found a place to join the mission, I cannot more highly recommend what they're doing down in the storehouse and with community engagement ministry as one possible option to do just what Justine was referring to. Come alongside those who have hit a rough patch for whatever reason and assist them through the storehouse ministry. Another thing that we do with community engagement is we partner with a local elementary school here in town, uh, Emerson Elementary School. And a couple years ago, Emerson asked our church if we would come in and provide mentoring to them. And uh, I guess we asked them if we could do that. And they said, yes, we would love for you to do that. And since that time, we've had about 20 mentors on a consistent basis, giving one hour a week to one child, one time a week over at Emerson. And it just fascinates me. We, we, uh, we, we heard from the, the principal at Emerson again recently, and we have 20 mentors over there. And she said, we'd love to have 40 of your people from Carnegie Free come to our, to our school on a weekly basis. Wow. And like, I don't know what the narrative is for you, but a lot of times it feels like the community narrative is like, okay, schools, I'm not so sure. They want us there. How cool is that? They want us there, making a difference in students' lives. And so, again, if you haven't yet found your area to join the mission inside the church or through the church, I can't uh, recommend those ministries through community engagement more highly as we really get to make a difference for the cause of Christ in our local community in so many different ways. I also want to just say a word of thanks to the probably 25, 30 students from this church who invested a weekend across the street with the Todd Becker Foundation stint um, weekend of training, learning what we believe and why we believe it and how to defend it more effectively. And 750 kids across a couple state region went to that conference. And we are so grateful for, for the discipleship that happened there for those 25 or 30 students. And okay, a couple claps, we can do that. So we love when our students lead us, and many of our young men and women in this room are leading us to continue to go deeper. And then we had like over 200 women who were here all weekend for the IF gathering. Likewise, for this women's retreat saying, I want to grow closer with Christ. I want to know him better. I want to make a greater impact for Christ and the community that God has called me to and in my family. And women just giving of their time for a weekend to grow in that. And uh, I'm so grateful to see a church that's hungry for growth in Christ, hungry for growth in the word of God. With that, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, as you open up your Bibles, we are in this sermon series titled Broken to Beautiful. And the point of this series, as is the case for many of our Mark It Up series, is to open up a passage of Scripture, 
a book of the Bible and get to know it better. Learn how to mark up our scriptures so we understand what is meant from the scriptures in its original context and then how to translate it into our context as well. We have these little journals at the information table uh, after the service. If you haven't been able to pick one of these up, you're welcome to do so. But this is a great way to study the Bible before you come to church on Sunday morning such that you get a couple touches during the week with the passage that we'll be studying on Sunday morning as you do your own study. What I'd like to do here today is take you through my simple Bible study method. It's called SOAP. And you see it in that journal. Take you through that a little bit. Show you how I do that during the week when I do Bible study. And then we'll look at a number of observations and applications uh, from the passage at hand as well. Whenever we do uh, one of these market up studies, my hope is that like we as a church would get more excited for the Bible. Because we're a Bible people, right? We're Bible people here. And, and I, 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 like, I have this prayer, I have this hope that we would become mighty in the Scriptures. We'd become mighty in our ability to handle the Scriptures. And there's devotional reading of the Bible, and many of us do that, and there's also study of the Bible. What I'm trying to teach, what Jordan and Hushai taught over the past couple Sundays, is more of a study of the Bible. And as you develop that habit of studying the Scriptures over the course of a lifetime, you start to understand the scriptures so much better than if you only do it devotionally. And so we're going to teach on that a little bit through this SOAP method, scripture, observation, application, prayer, this morning from uh, 1 Corinthians 2. We'll actually begin with verse 31 of chapter 1. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It all starts there. Everything else he's going to say comes out of that. If you're going to boast, you boast in the Lord and nothing else. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power, which is far better. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden And that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has ever conceived, these are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, 
not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that came from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Complex passage, anyone? We better pray, then we'll jump in. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beauty and the power of your word, and we ask, God, that you would reveal truth to us from it today. This is a more complex passage for us, and so we're going to have to dig in a bit. We ask, God, by faith, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear how we might understand this, your beautiful, eternal word, and how we might apply it to our lives. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. So, here's a few observations uh, that I get out of this passage, and this first part of today's message might feel a little bit kind of like study, and uh, some of you love that and some of you don't care for it too much, but I'm trying to give a bit of a demonstration because the simple truth is, any text of Scripture without a context is just a pretext. It's a pretext for making Scripture say what we want it to say. And so the critical thing when we open up the Bible is to understand what is God choosing to reveal? What is he trying to teach his original audience? And then how do I begin to apply that and begin to understand it for my context today? We don't go to the Bible and say, I want to make it what I want it, make it. We go to the Bible and we say, God, what is it that you say? So here's a handful of questions that I write down in my journal under the word observation. The first one is this, and let's have some audience participation on this. Who is writing? Anyone? Okay, yeah, the Apostle Paul. You'll see these answers on the screen in just a moment. The Apostle Paul is writing. And who is he writing to? The Corinthian church. He's writing to the Corinthian church, and the context is Corinth, Greece, a very secular city where Paul has started a church in about 52, 53 A.D., And he was a pastor there for about 18 months before he went on to plant other churches in the Mediterranean world. Now, why is he writing? Before we look at the screen, anyone know why he's writing? I heard someone say they're a mess, and that's exactly right. He's writing to a very messy church in a very messy city, and his issue is this. The the church of Corinth is starting to imitate the city of Corinth, and he ain't too happy about that. And so Paul's going to build a case across his 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians for how they would be different. There was a saying about Corinth that went like this, not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. In other words, you better be careful if you go there. It's kind of like what happens in Vegas stays in, it was that kind of city. And unfortunately, the church in Corinth, though they were Christians, is doing a darn good job of imitating the city of Corinth. And so Paul has something to say about that. Now, the next question that I ask when observing any passage of Scripture is, what's the literary context? Because 
like the passages in Scripture, they build on each other. So it's not just that you take a verse out of context and you, again, say, all right, well, that's great verse fluff for me. There was something that preceded it. And so um, in the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians, here's what Paul has been trying to communicate. He's been trying to say, chapter 1, that division is devastating and unity is really, really hard work. And so be a unified church. Don't be like the world around you. Be a unified church. And then he goes on to say, as Hushai said so well last Sunday, that if you take your gaze off of Christ, lots of bad stuff happens, right? And this is what the church in Corinth has done. They've taken their gaze off of Christ, and they're putting their gaze on other teachers. Oh, I go with Apollos. I go with Peter. I go with Paul. I go with some other philosophers that we have there in Corinth. So that's kind of the background, the literary background for today's passage in chapter 2. That's all chapter 1. Now, a really important question that I always ask when I'm studying a passage of Scripture is this. What's the big idea of this passage? So given the original author, the original audience, what's the big idea that he's trying to communicate, and how might that begin to apply to my life and my context as well? And the big idea in this passage, though, that we just read goes like this. With the Holy Spirit inside of us, God gives us renewed focus, renewed power, and renewed wisdom. Let me say it again. With the Holy Spirit now dwelling inside of us, God gives us renewed focus, renewed power, and renewed wisdom. Do you know that when you came to Christ, when you submitted your life to Christ, when you repented of your sins, when you acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, that in that moment, it's not just that you were forgiven and your eternity was secured. It's not just that. It's that the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of you. Do you know that? Okay? Like, it's more than, I am forgiven, and now I'm waiting for heaven. It's way more than that. It's that God has, bringing, has brought about a change in our hearts such that we are actually different. There is something different in us. We cannot see it, but the Holy Spirit now dwells in us, and as we submit more and more to the Spirit, we have newfound focus, newfound power, and newfound wisdom. So we're going to unpack those one at a time as we rely on the Holy Spirit today. The first one is newfound focus. Let me ask this question. What what, what do you naturally focus on? When you're just lost in thought, where does your mind go? What do you naturally focus on? Yourself. Okay, someone said thank you. I appreciate the feedback. I agree. I resemble that remark, okay? (laughs) <laughs> um, what, what fills your mind as you sit and reflect? What, what seems most important to you? Another way we could ask this question is, what do you want other people to know about you? What do you want other people to think about you? Is it that you want other people to think that you're really hardworking? You want other people to think that your kids are very obedient? You want other people to know that you are influential in town? You want other people to know that you found success in this world? What is it that you want other people to know or to think about you that is your focus? 
The Apostle Paul is a really unique case study in this because he was brilliant and he was powerful and everyone knew it. In so many ways, for the Apostle Paul, the world was his oyster. And then he threw away everything that he knew as he embraces the risen Christ. He talks about this over in Philippians chapter 3. Another thing that you can do as you're studying the Bible is you look for cross-references in your Bible, and you go back and you look at those cross-references, which helps you understand the passage that you might be looking at. And one of the cross-references for 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, what Paul does is he unpacks his resume of sorts. And he says, like, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the highest class of the Jews. And I was trained by the leading scholar of the Jews, this man named Gamaliel, the leading rabbi of the day. Think Harvard. That's where Paul was trained. And he's trilingual, and he's powerful, and he's brilliant. And he's known for his righteous zeal for the Old Testament law, understanding, internalizing, even memorizing every word of the Old Testament, and having a keen ability to bury his opponents, which he regularly did. So he's rising. He's got all this strength well, within the Jewish faith that he was raised in. And in Philippians chapter 3, he says, all of that resume power that I had, I put it away in the file cabinet. He says this and said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. The actual Greek word for rubbish there is fit for the dung heap. All that was to my credit... All the power and privilege and prestige that everyone thought of me in my community is now fit for the dung heap. Woo! I don't want to say that. But here's what the Apostle Paul said. I consider them rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ because I have a new focus. I have a new found focus. And Paul's saying the exact same thing that when Christ captured his heart, it changed his focus for life. And that's what he's trying to communicate here in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 as well. Look at this again. It says, let the one who boasts, verse 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then it goes on from there. So it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I resolved to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was a culture that valued rhetoric like no other. You think of the Greek world it was the Greek world, the Greek kingdom, the, the Greco-Roman kingdom, Corinth, Greece, that gave the world Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and so many others. And they gave the world a lot of wisdom through those philosophers. And there's much value to be gained from those philosophers. But the point is this. The church in Corinth, just like the rest of the people in Corinth, 
would would have expected their teachers to be able to turn a phrase, to be clever, to have great rhetoric, to have great philosophical skills. And the Apostle Paul says, I have some of that, but guess what? I'm putting it in the file cabinet. I don't care about any of that because I want your faith to be based on something more than merely human wisdom. Paul had plenty of power, but he puts all that aside. He wants his church to be focused on the cross of Christ. Look at the message paraphrase of verse 2. Maybe you'd read this out loud with me from the screen. Would you please join me? He says this, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus. We're cross-focused people, right? This is what we are. At Carnegie Free, we are cross-focused people. And when we're led by the Holy Spirit, we recognize our need for the cross of Christ each and every day. That yes, Jesus saved me from my sins at one time in the past, but I still need saving from my sins today. Right? I was saved. I am being saved. One day I will be saved. Still today I'm being saved. Anybody else? We still need the cross of Christ each and every day. Now, here's the paradox of all this. As we think this way, with our focus on the cross, as we speak this way, speaking regularly of the cross of Christ, as we act this way as cross-centered people, the paradox is this, we actually have newfound power. This is the second thing that Paul's going to say. We have a newfound focus, but we actually gain a newfound power because we're more and more in submission to the Holy Spirit within us. Verses 4 and 5 say this, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not rest on mere human wisdom, but on God's power. I don't know about you, but I really want a faith that's not based on man's little wisdom. I really want a faith that's based on God's great power. How about you? I I don't want a faith based on someone's best, most clever arguments. I want the wisdom and the power of the crucified and risen Christ. Now, here's what Paul does not mean. He doesn't mean that when he came to the Corinthians or to the other churches that he planted... He always talked like this in a very monotone, boring voice. No, he did know how to use rhetoric, okay? It doesn't mean that he was boring. In fact, I'd say it's it's a sin to bore people with the Bible. Don't do that, okay? It, It doesn't mean that he didn't use logic. If you read any of Paul's letters, you see he used logic all the time. He was a great, brilliant thinker. What it means is he wanted his church's faith to be based on something deeper than logic. He wanted his church's faith to be based on something deeper than the latest Twitter post. Okay? He didn't want his church's faith to be based on his rhetorical skills and his skinny jeans. He wanted his church's faith to be based on the cross of Christ. Okay? He's calling us to something deeper. 
He's reminding us that in Jesus Christ we have Holy Spirit power. Do you believe today that you have Holy Spirit power? We have Holy Spirit power, which I'm so grateful for because I find that my words do not suffice on a regular basis. Like, have you ever gone to the hospital? You plan to visit a friend or a family member in the hospital. And so you kind of gin up these words that you're going to go to the hospital and give some comfort to someone who is struggling. And you want to have wisdom to share with them. And as you go into that hospital room and you speak to that person and their family, the words feel like chalk as they're coming out of your mouth. I've been there, I've done that. Totally lifeless. I did that once many, many years ago as a pastor, and I said to myself, I will never do that again. Conversely, to say, Holy Spirit, you dwell in me, I'm asking for your power right now. I'm asking God that you might help me to apply the words that I have studied as I go into this hospital room. Would you help me to take opportunity that you might give, that I might provide comfort to this family that is hurting? And then we learn in the moment that God did not give us a spirit of timidity. 2 Timothy 1.7. God did not give us a holy spirit of timidity or of fear, but a holy spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And you have this amazing, almost miraculous experience of God giving you power to apply his words in a way that you simply do not have on your own. Or maybe you've had the experience of wanting to share Christ well with someone that you love. And as you begin to share Christ with them, because you've worked through the verbiage that you're going to use, you speak and the words just feel like chalk as they're coming out of your mouth. Because you've gone in your own power. And what does it do? It does harm to the person you're trying to speak to, right? They want nothing to do with it. But alternatively, you've had the experience of going in the love of Christ and asking Holy Spirit because part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is as I'm being filled by you, as I'm asking for your power, you give me love. You give me patience. You give me kindness. You give my mouth self-control. So I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to fill me right now with your power. And then what you give that person is love and kindness. And even if they're not ready to receive Christ, they sense there's something different about you, and indeed there is. Or finally, maybe you have a conflict of some kind that you have to deal with. You have to work through some kind of disagreement. And you know there's one way to go. You bring your power, your intimidation skills. And how does it go? Yeah, it doesn't go too well, right? You bring harm. Or you say, Holy Spirit, part of your ministry is to bring me peace. And so I'm asking that you would give me the peace of Christ, the peace that comes from reliance on the Holy Spirit as I go into this very difficult conversation, that you would help me to be a man of peace in this hard conversation. And the Holy Spirit through you is able to do what you cannot do on your own. Maybe you've heard the name D.L. Moody. He's such a brilliant example of this. He was a chaplain for the Union troops in the Civil War. And then in the late 1800s, after the Civil War, he became a world-famous minister of Christ. In many ways, he was kind of the Billy Graham of his day. 120 years ago, as people spoke about Billy Graham, that's how they would be speaking of D.L. Moody. And he preached to literally hundreds of thousands of people across the world, multiple continents prior to air travel. And 
He saw tons of thousands of people come to Christ through his very simple, ordinary ministry that was always focused on the cross and the resurrection of Christ. There was another clergyman, Bob, by the name of Dr. R.W. Dale, that wanted to understand the secret of D.L. Moody's ministry. Moody kind of became this wonder to many people that were watching him. They were just kind of awestruck at the power of his ministry, seeing the difference that he made in people's lives, the way God used him. And they said he was so ordinary. And so this man, Dr. R.W. Dale, would follow Moody as he went to England, and Moody preached there for about two weeks at a time. And R.W. Dale followed him throughout his preaching, trying to understand what was the secret to Moody's ministry. And at the end of that time, he wrote a report for his denomination, and I think it was published in part in the London Times as well, and he explained that the revival work, listen to this, the revival work was most plainly a work of God. For I could see absolutely no relation between Moody personally and what he was accomplishing. He just doesn't seem that brilliant or charismatic. The report got to D.L. Moody, and he replied that he would be very sorry if things were otherwise. Mm. He would be very sorry if things were otherwise. Because he understood any ministry I have is about the cross of Christ and not about me. Ordinary man, extraordinary ministry, from the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that same Holy Spirit lives in you? He does. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, He does. The same Holy Spirit that D.L. Moody had dwells in you and me. In fact, Romans 8 says, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us. The question is, Do you ask for his power? Do you ask for Holy Spirit power every day? Newfound focus, newfound power, and third, we learn from this passage, newfound wisdom is ours through the change that God has brought by giving us his Holy Spirit. Look at verses 12 and 13. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. And then he says finally in verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. What is the Spirit of the world that Paul is talking about here? What is the human spirit that we do not have anymore as the dominant spirit inside of us? Yes, we do have it inside of us, but we don't have it anymore as the dominant spirit inside of us. Now what we have in submission to Christ is the Holy Spirit as the dominant spirit inside of us. But it raises the question, what is the natural, carnal, worldly human spirit? It's self. It's um, the spirit of the age. I love the way William Barclay says it way back in the 1950s, commenting on the spirit of the world. This is the best description of the spirit of the world I've ever heard. 
He said, the, spirit, the person without the spirit is the kind of individual who lives as if there was nothing beyond the physical life and there were no needs other than material needs. Nothing beyond the physical life and no needs beyond material needs. He goes on. Such a person thinks that nothing is more important than the satisfaction of the sex urge and thus cannot understand the meaning of chastity. One who ranks the amassing of material things as the supreme end of life and therefore cannot understand such things as generosity. And one who never has a thought beyond this world cannot simply cannot understand the things of God. Now this is what naturally resides in all of us. It's the spirit of the world that says, how do I look out for my pleasure? How do I maximize my life so that I would get what I want out of this life? And there's all kinds of wisdom to be had, all kinds of human wisdom to be had related to that. And that's the natural operating procedure for all of us. But what God is calling us to in this passage is something higher than that. It's a submission to the Holy Spirit in which we recognize, yes, we all have some needs, but what we really need, what we really want is to be ambassadors for Christ, to be filled with His power and to be filled with His wisdom, to do His work in our specific areas of ministry, in our neighborhoods, in our families each and every day. Now, Paul is writing this entire passage. You might notice that he always used the word we and us. And I find that interesting because he's really kind of upset with his church. Okay? He uses we and us because he still sees them as Christians. He recognizes these folks in Corinth, these are my brothers and sisters. They are Christians. They're just not acting like Christians. And so he calls them up. And this is what any good teacher, this is what all good mothers and fathers do all the time, right? We're constantly calling people up to a higher standard. Like, I know you're in Corinth, but don't live like Corinth, live like Zion. I know you're in Carney. Come on, somebody. And Carney's a nice place, but ain't no perfect place, is it? Don't live like Carney, live like Jerusalem. Live like the Spirit of God who is in you, who is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and ask for the Spirit of God to reign over you in all that you say and do because we do indeed have the mind of Christ and so by the Spirit of God in us we can shed that which is natural to us which is our anger and our pride and our lust and our intimidation and all the different things that we use that are just not befitting to the people of God. Last insight fell from this passage, and then I'll wrap up. Paul says here, verse 13, we have wisdom to explain spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. And I think what he's getting at here is that because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're able to explain things, spiritual realities in a different way, than you were before when you just had your own knowledge and wisdom. But what you need is spirit-inspired words, spiritual realities, and I think he's talking about 
these two things together. It's the, the spiritual realities from the Word of God combined with spiritually informed words as you're meditating on the Word of God and as you're submitting to the power of God. And both are necessary. Like if it's just, just words, then your, subject, your subjective impressions of what God might be saying to you can be wrong, can't they? And so it always has to be measured by this litmus test of what does the Word of God say, and that's why we study the Word of God the way we do. But if it's just like repeating the words of Scripture, that oftentimes isn't enough either. Because people need to feel. They need a sense that you love them. Which is where the Holy Spirit of God in us, the spirit of self-control, the spirit of love, the spirit of joy comes through. And when those two things come together, the power of the Word with the power of the Spirit, that's when you have effective discipleship. That's when we have effective discipleship. I think so much around this idea of being changed by the power of the Spirit in us about Acts chapter 4 with uh, the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter. And um, like they're, they're preaching about the crucified and resurrected Christ. And in Rome, that was illegal. In the Roman Empire, that was illegal. And so they get thrown in jail and they're told, you got to shut up. And if you don't shut up, you'll just stay in jail. But, but God gets them out of jail. <laughs> and, uh, and they say, I, we, we can't shut up about this. It's too good. It's too important. We cannot shut up about this. He saved us of all of our sins. He gave us new life. He gave us the Holy Spirit. We can't shut up about this. This is our focus. And so they keep talking about the crucified and resurrected Christ. And uh, you know what the crowd said? The crowds were in awe at the words that Peter and John said because they were unschooled and ordinary men. They spoke with this beauty and this power. They were unschooled and ordinary men. And then the scriptures say, but they had been with Jesus. (laughs) Unschooled, ordinary Men and women like us, but they'd been with Jesus. And so they had a completely different power than other people did because something had changed in them. The Holy Spirit was in them. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, though, they were able to do far beyond their own capacities. And that's what's available to us as well. So here's my application, and then we'll pray. I want to encourage you for the next seven days this week, very, very simple application. I want to encourage you that as you get out of bed each and every day until next Sunday, begin with these two simple prayers. Put out your hands and say, thank you, God, for giving me the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Start there. Thank you, God, that I'm not on my own today. Thank you, God, that you gave me the Holy Spirit, that your Spirit is with me today. And then number two, after giving thanks to God for the power of the Holy Spirit in you, ask for Holy Spirit power and focus and wisdom for something that you will be facing that day. Or maybe it's something that you will be facing this week. And so you pray over it each and every day throughout this week. Lord, I'm going into a meeting later on this week and I'm asking for Holy Spirit wisdom.
I'm going to have a difficult conversation this week. I'm asking for Holy Spirit wisdom. I want to disciple my kids better today. I'm asking for Holy Spirit power. And on and on while we can go and just kind of condition ourselves, get into the habit of saying, I don't want worldly wisdom. Mere human wisdom and eloquence is not enough. Something's changed in us. We have newfound focus, newfound power, newfound wisdom. The question is, will we ask for it? Will we tap into it? Perhaps even, day this, perhaps even every day this week. Let's pray for that. Oh, Father, I, uh, I'm just so, so thankful uh, that uh, as I go about my work each day this week, as I interact with my wife and my kids, as I have meetings this week, as I want to give counsel to people who are hurting, I don't have to rely on myself. Can you thank God for that? (laughs) Can you thank God for that right now? That something has changed in you. That the God of the universe, through the third person of the Trinity, now dwells in you by faith. And through the Holy Spirit in you, you have a different kind of power. You have different resources that are now available to you this week. Father, we pray that you would give us courage to tap into that throughout this week to come. And we're asking for our church that we would be a Christ-centered church, a cross-focused church, that we would not be centered on any human eloquence or charisma, not on any programs or wisdom, but on the Spirit of God. And Father, in all things, as we focused on Christ, as we trust in the Spirit, we'd be careful in all things to give you all credit. Not to me, O Lord, not to me, but to you be the glory. We say together by faith in Jesus' name.